care to share with you tonight. In the last uh, two weeks, we've talked about the eighth chapter of Romans, and the first week, uh, it was the, the, the title was I'm Not Good Enough. And that was answered in Romans 8, where God says, No condemnation. Last week, we, we titled it, I Can't Change, or The Same Old, Same Old, I said. The things that happen in our lives. And God says in Romans 8 that, that there's no frustration. And tonight, I want to talk to you about things. If you feel like your life is out of control or it's falling apart, even if it seems like that's happening a little bit or a lot of bit, I want to tell you tonight that no matter what it is, that God says in the 8th chapter of Romans that there is no desperation. Let's read together from the key verse of many verses that we'll use in our text this evening. Romans 8.28, I'm reading from the Amplified Version. And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God to those who are called according to His plan and purpose. Father, I ask you tonight as I have prayed earlier today and, and just that you would use every word that is spoken tonight to bring glory to your name. I ask that you would anoint me and the words that I believe that you have given me that this word can be delivered with power and authority under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that you would use that as you see fit, in whatever way that that is, in the lives of everyone that is here that may hear this tonight or at any other time, I ask that humbly and believing that you're going to do great things tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to make this proclamation tonight, and I want to get things started off on a positive note. We are going to have problems in our life. So is that positive enough for you? <laughs> I was going to give you the rah-rah, but let's just talk about the reality. Of we're going to have problems in our life. We're going, to, we're going to have difficulties. We're going to have trials and tribulations. We're going to have struggles. That's going to happen. And, in fact, what we see here on the screen is it, it, we're going to suffer. There's, there's going to be suffering that we have in this life here on earth. And in Romans 8, 17 and 18, I'm going to read here, and you can read along on the screen here. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory of that will be revealed in us. So even though we are joint heirs with Christ, as I talked about, really, I mentioned that the last two weeks, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I don't think there's much that gets any bigger than that. That's a big, big thing to press in on and really embrace. We're joint heirs with Christ, but even though we are, we're going to suffer in this world. As He did. And of course, there is a day coming that we all know, or, or at least I believe everyone here knows, there's a day coming that we won't have any more pain and suffering. Revelation 21.4 clearly says, He will wipe er away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. That means gone forever. It means it's it. All of those things do not have a place in eternity. And again, I've mentioned to you a couple of illustrations about building a house and how, you know, there's the sort of, I'm walking through this, I've likened it to building a house. And I wanted to tell you a, another thing about some of my construction experiences. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, I, um, that I've run into when I've been involved in building houses or building any kind of project, whatever, or building the school that we were in currently, we always run into difficulties and problems. It, it is not an if. It happens. It's a matter of when and how many. I remember one time I had a lot, and it looked so beautiful. It was a beautiful piece of land. Have you ever looked at a piece of vacant land, and it just looks beautiful? Trees and grass, and it just it, it was high, it was dry. It was beautiful until we had geotechnical engineers come out and take soil samples. And then they introduced me to this concept called demucking. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of that or ever encountered that, but demucking is where you take these heavy equipment uh, excavators and you get rid of all of the junk that is not buildable. And you dig a big hole and you haul that off and you bring back in good dirt, buildable dirt, sand, whatever it might be. And then you have to compact that and then you have to bring more and you have to compact it again to make it where it's level and it's ready to build on it. Even though it looked beautiful, that was a big problem that occurred that I had no idea until after we bought the property. <laughs> so we learned a lesson there. Another thing I remember is when a guy had the wrong blueprints. Phil, have you ever had that happen where somebody had the wrong blueprints and there was another version of it? And then you got a guy here that's building off of the other blueprints. So I came in one morning to see what was going on and I saw that he had framed out a whole bedroom and a closet and all kinds of stuff, the doorway, and it was completely in the wrong place. I said, what in the world? What is this? He's like, what's on the blueprint? I'm like, that's not the right version of the blueprint. So, of course, that was another problem we encountered. And so, again, likened to that, that's what life is. There's always some things that maybe you don't know about that are going to come your way that you're learning about that may be difficulties or problems. There are things that other mistakes that are made that you make or maybe other people make that create problems for you. But the thing is that we are going to encounter them. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about tonight is sharing our problems. How many people share their problems with someone that you know? You don't have to raise your hand, but I imagine most all of us do. I want to talk to you about the people at the beginning here about where we maybe should not share our problems with. And again, this is just my opinion, but I think it's something important. First of all, we, we don't want to share them with no one. Because if we keep things inside and we, and we don't share things, that's going to just create frustration, anxiety. It'll build up, and that's not going to be a good outcome. The other thing you don't want to do is you don't want to share your problems with complainers. Now, I've heard that misery loves company, but let me tell you, when you're sharing your problem with a complainer, it's not going to really help you. It's not going to really get you anywhere, because what winds up happening is it leads to just more sort of a cascading effect of bitterness and negativity and ultimately defeat. I think the same thing is with people that make excuses or blamers, I call them sometimes. When you blame others for things or you make excuses for things, I don't think those are good people to 
share problems with. It doesn't mean you can't be friends with them. It doesn't mean you can't have a relationship with them. I just don't think that's the best type of person to share your problems with. They're going to kind of blame it on someone else or, or, or make an excuse for it. And I, I really believe that the best place, there are other places that we can do, but the best place to share our problems that we have, no matter what we're encountering, is with Jesus Christ. He's the one to share them with. And there's a way to do that we'll talk about in a minute. I believe that when we share our problems with Jesus, hope builds right here. When we share our problems with Jesus, hope is building in our lives. And you can replace that word with several things. When we share our problems with Jesus, faith is building in our lives. When we share our problems with Jesus, optimism is building in our lives. When we share our problems with Jesus, confidence is building in our lives. These are things that are going to happen. So there's nothing wrong with sharing our life experience with others if we pick the right people. But whatever we do is make sure we pick the right person. Because when we share those things with Him, what happens is our faith builds, our hope builds, our confidence builds, our optimism builds. builds. It looks at the future in a positive way. I really believe that. And I believe that when we share those things, those sufferings that we have here on earth, we're we're really, we're not only just sharing it in prayer with the Lord, but but we're sharing in some way in the sufferings of Christ. Problems we have on this earth, share with Jesus, be specific, talk to Him just like I'm talking to you doesn't require anything else but just a, a conversation with them. And remember that Jesus was, when he was here on this earth, he was fully God and fully man. Now, how many of us know that? Yeah, we know that, but do we really think about it? Is there somewhere in the back of our mind that we think, yeah, but he's Jesus. He could deal with all of that stuff. He was Jesus. He was fully God it's fully man. It's very important to embrace that and just completely believe that. That means, to me, that he experienced the same trials, temptations, difficulties. He was 33 years old when he died. You don't think that in the quiet years between 12 and 30, there were a lot of things he had to deal with? He was a carpenter. You don't think there was somebody dissatisfied with the work that he had or they wanted him to change it or do something different or things that he could be upset about or all kinds of other temptations and difficulties that weren't recorded in the Scripture? Absolutely there were. Because he lived a life during those years. And then there were things that were recorded. I mean, Jesus experienced grief. He had to experience grief. And the one time when it was recorded that he wept was when he was mourning over his friend Lazarus. He experienced grief just like we do. He, he experienced tears. He experienced sadness. The loss of Lazarus. He felt just like we do. He grieved when he lost his friend and family member, his cousin John the Baptist. The scripture says that he went to a desolate place. He was grieving. He was hurt. He experienced those same emotions that we do. He had to deal with a group of men, numbering 12, that he walked around with for three years. Now, let me just tell you, I've been around ball teams. I've been a part of them. I've been around work 
teams. I've been around a lot of places where guys hang out. And let me tell you, when you're hanging out with them after a while, there's going to be some conflicts. There's going to be some testosterone going on. There's going to be some things where you disagree or argue or bicker or somebody's going to get upset with each other. That's men. I think it's human nature, too. But men get together, man. And I, I tell you, competition starts. Competition starts. i got to one-up you, man. That's just the nature of it. Now, here's 12 of them going around. Who do you think was talking? I mean, one of the things that, that, that Jesus had to deal with was the disciples. Uh, two times it's in Luke in chapter 9 and 22, talking about how they're arguing about who's the greatest. He is the greatest. What are you talking about? Why are you guys even discussing this? So I could just see this. Again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and elaborating. But I just see them all arguing. Like, so some Jesus has got to be standing like, why are you doing this? Do you not see what's going on here, the bigger purpose here? You guys are worrying about all these other things. There's probably many other things that may not have been recorded in Scripture. You've got these guys that are going around. They're going to be men. They're going to be humans. And Jesus had to deal with that conflict resolution amongst that group that he led. Those are all roses with those 12 guys walking around. I just don't believe that. I believe he had to deal with that. I know he had to deal, very clearly recorded, with betrayal. Now, I'm not going to ask that anybody that's had to deal with betrayal in their life knows that's a pretty serious thing. Betrayal is something that can only happen with someone generally that you're very close to. So if somebody's betrayed you, they're a good friend, a family member, a church friend, uh, a co-worker that you've been very close to, somebody you feel like you can trust, and then, before you know it, they turn on they betray you. Now, I don't know if that's happened to everyone here. I'll say it's happened to me. And sometimes it may have been a great, uh, maybe a large-scale betrayal. Maybe it was a, a smaller one. But if you've been betrayed, Jesus experienced that. And I would even argue to say that his, his experience of betrayal was much greater than anything we've ever dealt with. Now, think about a man that walked around for three years with Jesus as a part of the inner group of 12, 12 hand-picked people, and I'm one of them, and I'm walking around with him for three years, and I see him raise the dead. I see him heal the sick. I see miracles occurring. I see people flocking. I see him taking a couple of loaves and fishes and turning them into things that will feed 5,000 people. I'm witnessing all of that. I see all of that. I see the response. I see people's lives being changed. I see people doing anything they can just to get close enough to touch him. Yet, for a handful of money, he stole me out to die. That's the trigger. Now, let me tell you, Jesus experienced that just like it was us. Fully God, fully man. He had to experience that in the most emotional way that if somebody did that to me, you didn't me what are you doing? How could you do that to me? And then, of course, rejection. Yeah, I mean, there's nobody. We've all had some rejection, probably experiences in our life, none like what Jesus did. Spit upon, eaten, mocked. That's what happened to him. And then, ultimately, and even rejected from the people that knew the best in many cases. That's rejection. 
Now, these are the emotions and the things that Jesus had to deal with. He had to deal with them just like we do. And the reason I say all of those things is because I want you to understand that when we experience these things or other things in our lives, we're sharing in the sufferings at that point. We're sharing in the sufferings. And when we do that, we are not alone. We're not alone when we do that. When we have to face these things, we are not alone. So now, again, you can talk to people. I didn't want to say before that you can't talk to people about your problems. Just pick the right ones. If it's friends or family members, people in the church, maybe a counselor, maybe a pastor. There's nothing wrong with sharing this. But the main thing is, make sure you're sharing it with Jesus. Because when you do that, hope builds. Confidence builds. And here's the thing about sharing things with Jesus that I have found in my life. When I do that, I have a complete and total confidence that because of the things that I just outlined there, and there could be many others, I believe that He is the best person that I could talk to because of all of the different kinds of things He's experienced, because of the depth of the things He's experienced, and because He overcame them all. He overcame each and every one of those things. Now, you might talk with one friend or a person you know about maybe they struggle with an addiction or maybe they struggle with depression or maybe and they had a victory, you know, a marvelous victory in a story and a testimony they could tell you that could build your faith and maybe give you some advice or something. Those are all well and good. But he took everything that came his way, fully God and fully man, and yet he overcame every single one. I haven't even talked about the temptation. Yeah, that was a pretty exhaustive process he had to go through. And he overcame it. And I know if I talk to him about it, that he gets it and he's overcome it, and that that's going to be the best place for me to share my problem. So I believe that you can handle any problem when you remember who you're going to share your problems with. So... The Word of God says present sufferings are not worth comparing to future glory. So Paul's saying this in a way, I believe, that is not saying that, well, it, it, it's, not, it's not that you can't do it. You know, if you, if you want to, go ahead. I think what he's saying is it's, there's no point in it because you can't get your mind around the comparison. It's apples and oranges. or It's night and day. It's something that you can't compare what you're going through to future glory. The Word of God says that you can't imagine. Now think about it. It's not that you can't sort of grasp something that you can see or something that's been written about or illustration. Your mind cannot imagine what eternity is like. Our imagination is not broad enough to understand eternity. And so if you look at it from that standpoint, it's not worth comparing it because you can't. But you see, for me, in my life, what I do, and what I felt that I've, I've been able to do, is I take something that I'm facing as a challenge or a problem, and I compare it to God's glory. I compare it to the glory that He has, either in my life or something that I know. Maybe it's just a grain of sand on the beach that my understanding is of it. I know there is a glory, there is an eternity, there is a place that has us described that 
maybe I don't understand it all, but man, I understand just enough. But I can also understand the glory that's revealed in my life, what he's done in my life, the victories he's given me, the miracles, in fact, he's given me, the healings that he's done, the things that I have seen, the place that he's taken me from here to here. I can compare my problems to the glory that he is revealing in me today. The Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now that is the last two words. His glory will be revealed in us. Not necessarily around us. Might be not to us. Something that, oh wow, I just now realized that. And he, he revealed something to me. He's revealing his glory. If we're walking with him, his glory is being revealed in us. In our spirit, in our soul, in our heart, in our mind. His glory, and all that that means, is being revealed in us. So again, it might be that there are things around us, there might be things that happen that we see that, that are that that we can say that it was revealed to us, but it's also being revealed into us. Into us. Second Corinthians four seventeen, Paul talks about this again. For the this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now that means as prolific of a writer. And it's inspired by the Holy Spirit of right as Paul was, he had no way to compare that. Had nothing to compare it to. There's no better person, I believe, that God could have chosen to have written this than the Apostle Paul. I feel certain as I sit here tonight that no one has experienced the things that Paul had to go through. He was beaten. He was put in prison. He was shipwrecked. He lived a lot of time that was like bound up in chains. He wrote about how he was hungry and cold and without proper clothing. But just, just think about all the things that Paul had to go through. Stoned and left with it. Paul, for his faith, endured greatly. Yet, he said, he, he took that life experience of all that he had and he said, this light, momentary affliction is not worth comparing. Eternal way of glory beyond all comparison. So I would say this, taking all that, just putting it in a, just a one sentence. The problems we face are light. Now look at that light. This is a light. Light compared to the weight of glory. Now think about that just for a minute. I'm going to put it in terms very quickly about weights and measures. Things that we use in our world to measure things and to weigh things. So, if, if I have a pint worth of pint, a, a pint size problem, God's got a quart of glory. If I've got a quart of problems, he's got a gallon of glory. If I've got gallons of problems, 
He's got oceans of glory and oceans of answers for our lives. The weight of that, if you look at it and think about it, here I've got, let's say I've got gallons of problems. I've got these, I've got these problems going on. Well, here's the weight of the ocean on it. He's got the weight of the ocean of glory. It answers for whatever it is that you're facing in your life. If you look at it in a different way, grams or little tiny things. So maybe you have a lot of little problems. Sometimes having a lot of little problems is worse than having one big one. That's something that's happened to me. That's something that I'd rather have to do with just one big thing than all these little things that have a lot of different things. So maybe you've got grams worth of problems. Well, then he's got ounces of glory. If you have ounces worth of problems, he's got pounds of glory. If you've got pounds of problems, he's got tons of glory to bring into your life, to wait over all the problems and things that you face. So if you have pounds of problems, he's got tons of answers. He's got tons of deliverance. He's got tons of redemption. He's got tons of forgiveness. He's got oceans of healing, oceans of encouragement, oceans of answers for every single thing that we could possibly need. He's got it. And there is no way that the problems we face are too great for the weight of His glory. Our problems are light compared to the weight of glory. So it doesn't matter how big and how much you measure, He's got more to come in of His glory and His answers for your problems. He's got it. I love the way Paul said this in the NIV. He said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving us for us in eternal glory. That far outweighs them all. That far outweighs them all. All of these little problems, all of these big problems, it doesn't matter. It far outweighs them all. The problems we face are light. Compared to the weight of glory and His glory can be and will be revealed in us. So, in this life, we will suffer and we will groan. And I want to read this text from Romans 8, 19 to 27. If you would, just read along with me on the screen. This is a little lengthy, but I want to just I want to encapsulate this whole piece here. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope 
For what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And that's powerful stuff there. That's powerful stuff there. A couple of points I want to make. All creation groans. All creation groans. There was a creation that was made when God created it. It was good. In fact, in Genesis 1, he said several times, God saw it was good. What the Bible says. He saw it was good. It was good and it was perfect. And then there was a fall. And it was and it was a fallen creation. And now it's it's a groaning creation. In verse twenty two it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. So all creation groans, and then also we groan. We groan, verse 23 says, inwardly as we wait eagerly. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. I would even say, when you look at the synonyms of eagerly, that's with anticipation. Anticipatory. We wait eagerly, but we groan inwardly. And then, lastly, on that, the Spirit grows. And this is such power. My dad said something to me last Wednesday about just they didn't realize this is what I was actually speaking on, but it really made me look even deeper at this the Spirit grows. So it says again, I'm going to read. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we for as we ought. Very important. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when you don't know what to pray in your prayer life, God's Spirit knows what to pray. When you don't know what to say, He knows what to say. And here's the cool thing about it He not only knows what to pray, wait for it. When he is interceding on our behalf, he not only knows what to pray, he's praying it. That's good. Not what I'm saying. That's good that he does that. Come on. He is praying it. I got him. Oh, yeah, I'm praying. James says, we have not because we ask not. <laughs> okay, we have to 
petition the Father. We have to communicate with the Father. We have to pray. Okay, we all know that, but I just want to make that clear. But so, so the Spirit is praying for us. He is indeed. He is groaning for us. And knowing that truth, knowing that, knowing that the Holy Spirit is praying for us as weak and as broken and as messed up as we are and can be, knowing that, how can you not be encouraged to pray? How can you be discouraged from praying if you really believe that, knowing that He's praying for us even in our weakness? He's standing beside you. He's praying on your behalf. And interceding, interceding. The Greek word, I'm going to have him put this up. I'll look this up. I'm not going to try to pronounce that, guys. Does anybody know how to pronounce that? But here, here's the thing, okay? The, the, the Greek word in, in interceding, okay? There's a couple of things I, I derive from this. First of all, that it's properly is a word that's used. Properly. That means intercession that he's making on us is done properly. It is done to confer benefit. Interceding is conferring a benefit to us. That's what's happening when he is interceding for us. We could go back to the other one where it's, you know, he knows what he not only knows what to pray, he doesn't just know what to pray. He prays it. He prays it, and he prays it properly, and he prays it to confer a benefit upon us. I would say he's prays perfectly, but properly. And with the idea that he's interceding for us because it's going to confer benefit to us, to our lives, to our problems, to the struggles that we deal with as we pray. His intercession is there to properly approach the Father and to say it in the proper and perfect way to confer a benefit to us. That's intercession. That's interceding. So don't be discouraged from praying. Don't be discouraged from praying. Don't let the fact that you think you don't know how to pray discourage you from praying. Because you don't have to know. Okay? I'm not saying that it doesn't matter how eloquent you are. For those that have eloquent prayers, that's great. For those that have these wonderful things, there's no problem with any of that. But the point is, is that the Word of God clearly says we don't know how to pray as we ought. So we don't. So it doesn't matter, but it's great if you string proper, you know, nice words together and make it sense. That's wonderful. I think it's great. I have no objection to that whatsoever. But it still doesn't mean you know how to pray as you ought. <laughs> You still need the Spirit interceding on your behalf. Don't let the fact that prayer isn't easy discourage you. See, it isn't easy because we have to be disciplined, we have to be committed, and we have to be consistent, right, in our prayer life. 
But, but that's not easy with the things that we've got going on and our schedules and things and different things that happen. Is it easy? It's not easy for me. Doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be discouraged just because it's not easy. Keep at it. Just keep at it. And don't let the fact that your prayers don't seem to be answered. This is something I hear all the time. That your prayers aren't answered, that you're going to give up. That's when you really need to press in and continue to believe and continue to pray and let the Spirit of God intercede on your behalf properly to confer a benefit, to come in with a perfect approach to the Father. So I always would say, and I try to do this, I don't mean when you pray that you don't have to say anything. Pray to the best of your ability according to what you believe the will of God is. Okay? That's, I mean, that's okay, and that's good. So it doesn't mean you just, you know, well, I'm praying now, and I'm just going to say this. Well, I know you're praying for me, so it doesn't really matter what I say. No, I think you should be specific. I think you should pray. I think you should put your petitions before the throne of God. Do all of that. But do it to the best of your ability. But know this, that if you are praying something that is in the perfect plan of God and in His perfect will, the Spirit of God is doing that for you. And He will line up. If you've got something that's out of alignment, like my kids, He'll bring that into alignment like that. Where it fits perfectly with the will of God. It fits perfectly. It's not out of alignment. If we're saying something that's not right, He's going to properly do it. So, don't be discouraged about praying. The truth is that the Holy Spirit, if He is praying on our behalf, in our weakness, it should cause us to be intentional persevering in our prayer. I really believe that. So as I wrap up here, I just want you to know that in this time, we will suffer, we will groan, but guess what? We will grow. We talked about that the first week. We will grow! And we will grow because of this. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So, the problems that you face in your life, what's good about them? Nothing. Not one single thing about the problems, difficulties, struggles, trials that you face is good. There's nothing about it good. But guess what? God is good. God is good, and He can take... This is what I think is awesome. I mean, I just do. I hate to use that word, but awesome. This is awesome. God, in His goodness, can do something good through our problems. Now, that's not some big, you know, scholarly statement. But think about it. He can take, because of His goodness, the problems that we have and work them through to our good. He can do that. He's got the power to do that. And that's what it's saying here. So it's saying, I just want to break these words down a little bit more. It's saying that in all things, not some things, not most things, not a few things, in all things, God is working. He is working on our behalf. He's working. You may not see it, you may not know it, but He's working. 
all things. He's working all of those things for our good. We're not doing it. In fact, the only thing we can do is either get in the way or cooperate. We can cooperate with him, but we don't want to get in the way. He's doing the work. And so this means this. He is working. He is working it for our good. We're not doing it. He's doing it. And this means this, that God is working all the time in all things to build the eternal pieces in the proper order in our lives. I'm going to say that one more time. God is working all the time in all things to build the eternal pieces in our lives in the right configuration that it needs to be for His plan and His purpose. All the time He's working for that. And He does that for who? He does it for those who love Him and seek His purpose and His plan. Now it says called according to His purpose. Some people take that and think, well, if you're called in the ministry, if I'm called to be a youth leader, if I'm called to be in the praise team, it, 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 it's that, but it's. But I wanted to make it where you could look at it in, in the way that is described. If you look at a lot of commentary and things, there's a lot of ways to look at this. And the way I feel like it's easiest for me to understand is this: for those that love Him and seek, and the Amplified Bible says purpose and plan together. His purpose and His plan—that's who He's working for. So he's working all the time to build the eternal pieces in the proper order in our lives for those that love him and are seeking his purpose and his plan. You need to be doing that. You need to be doing that part. And then the last thing as we close here, I want to just say, the first two words, there's so many things you get are the most powerful. I can't say that. Everything's powerful in this chapter of the Bible. Man, the Word of God is something, isn't it? There is truth in this. There is there is absolute victory in this, what we're talking about here tonight. But the first two words of Romans 8 and 28 is, and, well, first three words, depending on which translation, and we know. Not we think, we wonder, maybe it's so. Well, some of the times it is. No, we know. We know that He is building the eternal pieces in our lives in the configuration that He wants it to be. We know that, yes, we will suffer and we will groan, but we will grow. We know that. We know that the problems we face are light compared to the weight of His glory. We know that oceans of glory can heap upon gallons of problems in our lives. We know that. We know that the Spirit knows what to pray, yes, but He prays for us. We know that tonight. That is something that I know and you should know. And if you don't know, know it. We know that He is interceding properly with the idea of conferring benefit upon us in searching and and for the right words. We don't know how to do that. He does to find the perfect will of the Father for our lives. That's how He's going to build those pieces, those eternal pieces, in the right order in our lives. We know that He's working for those that love Him and seeking His purpose and His plan. Father, I just thank You tonight for the opportunity to stand before 